I needed two weeks to review that. Right. I needed six weeks to review Latin. I needed because two weeks. Stories. Because they they're content. stories. It's that narrative. They remember those stories. And so when we when they're young and we teach them stories, they really do hang on to that knowledge in a way they do not hang on to their math facts. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. On today's episode, summer is here. We want to talk about what do classical educators do with their summer? And is there a, a good way to use your summer to prepare for next year? Before we get there, Martin, I have a question that you'll never guess. What have you been reading recently? <laughs> I had been kidding before the There's show. The that he asked me There's that, and he did, we, we do this every show, and yet I always am reaching around for things. It's because I'm usually reading several books at a time. I actually just finished last night. Wow. Is that recent enough? That's fresh. Um, it's fresh. Uh, Michael Connolly, who wrote the Bosch books, and then the Mickey Holler books, which are the... Um, legal thrillers that uh, Bosch is a policeman, Mickey Holler's a defense attorney. And uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say there's language in there. There are inappropriate scenes, not, uh, but there are inappropriate scenes in some of the novels, not all of them. But if you're uh, an adult reader and you understand the way the modern world is, uh, they're very, they're very realistic, but the, his legal thrillers, gosh, they're good. The, these, I love a good court drama. Mm. And he, he, he has, he's, there are about six or seven of the Mickey Holler books and uh, four or five of them are just absolutely riveting. You do not want to put them down. And it's nice to have a story like that. You know, we, you know, probably some of the viewers think that, you know, we just read classics all day and you just go home and Dante <laughs> is by my bedside <laughs> and, but you know, if and you, it is, and, and but it you've is. also got <laughs> right. detective stories. Yeah, you've got these other books uh, that are not great literature, but they're good literature, mm -hmm. and good literature is good and entertaining. Uh, which and entertaining. you know, sometimes you need a brain break, and so it's nice to have. I kind of go back and forth between um, something that I feel is really that I should read and something that I really want to read like my British murder mysteries. Yeah, and I think there's those stories. Um, we just got uh, finished taping one that did this, uh, where you have to, you know, a lot of great literature, you have to analyze. There's things underneath, and you got to point them out, and you got to uncover things. But I've said this before, there is something about just a straight, good story and that is valuable in and of itself, apart from any symbolic sense that it has. If it's a good story, then it's, it's good. I have it's, an illustration for this. I, I was uh, hanging out when I was working at a church briefly uh, with a Christian rapper, professional musician. Yes. And we were sitting at lunch and I was talking to him and asked him, what music do you listen to? And he said, I don't really listen to music. That's work. Oh. And in my mind, I thought immediately, fraud. <laughs> <laughs> You're a guy who's good at rhyming. You are not a musician. Because if you're a musician, you would listen to music. Lots and lots and lots of it. And I think we are all readers. We love reading. So it's like we don't just read the classics just to study them. We, are, we just read. That's what we love doing. I was pondering your equation of rap with music. I was getting there. Uh, yeah. You just stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul, what have you been reading? Uh, a classic. Um, no, I this morning, since Martin finished book last night, I finished this morning, East of Eden. Oh, you did finish I it? I did finish it. I bought it. I've it's got it. It's so worth it. 
It is so worth it. I thought, it. should I read that first or read Captain Blood first? Oh, you'll finish Captain Blood in less than a week. So I should read it first. Yeah. Because yeah. you're reading that in the office reading group. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah, yes. Ca- Captain Blood by Sabatini. Did yeah. you, you choose that? Um, No, I mean, I had just read it. And so we were we were tossing out ideas and... What was, oh, we just read Persuasion and right. and people in people wanted a in the group they wanted something fun lighter for and summer lighter for summer so <laughs> and and people were like we've been talking a lot about Sabatini I was like that's a great one and Michelle's been wanting to read Captain Blood so uh, and okay, there's and, your and segue I, yeah, I there hope you, you <laughs> I hope you figure out in reading this because I don't know if I'm going to be there or not I hope you you come to some conclusion about how does an author write a story about a pirate and the pirate's good. Mm. Well, oh, that sounds fun. Dread Pirate Roberts. I mean, that's yes. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've read the book. Oh. I mean, it's it's. I haven't. How does How does Sabatini? I there's two novels I've read of his on pirate stories, yeah. and somehow he manages it. Yep. Okay, Tony. What about you? I just finished The Tree Grows in Brooklyn. This oh, is good. like the third week that I've had to say that, but I am finished now. Yeah. Um, Did it hold up from your teenage years? It did. It's still, you know, it it really a lot happens in fifteen years. Yes, it what fifteen right? Um, it is a coming of age novel, but it does have it a lot. It's a, got a lot more than that, and I think the um her description of Brooklyn in the early nineteen hundreds, I think, is just beautifully done, and this tree that that grows regardless you can cut it down and it comes back you know it's just it's one of those really obvious analogies that works that you know keeps coming up throughout the book but it's definitely worth reading i read it too young it i mean and i would have been fascinated at the time with the the infidelity and the um woman that has had 10 babies and they've all died. So mm. she pretends to be pregnant when she's really adopting a baby. I mean, just that kind of stuff appealed to my 14 year old self. <laughs> but this time I was able to get beyond those things. Mm. So I, I, I yeah. wouldn't recommend it for a young teenage girl. What was my mother thinking? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mentioned last time that I saw them. I haven't read the book, but I you saw, saw the, the movie. movie. My, my wife didn't like it because the father she said was just this ne'er do well. He was. And, and I mean, he, he was a drunk. Yes. And he kind of doesn't necessarily pay for his negligence. And that always, that, that kind of thing bothers my wife. Uh, but, but one of the things about the movie, I assume is the same as the book is it does bring you back, bring you to this other place in time. She does a great job yeah, of that I, because it is autobiographical. Yes. What, what Time period is, is this? Nineteen oh one is when she was born, mm. and nineteen yeah, around nineteen twelve is where the book picks up. Back mm. in those old mm. times, and in a tenement, and just being yeah. proud though. By the end, being really proud of where she's from. Yeah, there's something I, I, I talked about in you know, the importance of a good story. Uh, that's one pl- one element of. The other is setting, and you know, there's some things I just like a lot of old movies which I love to watch because they, they do that. They bring you back to this other time in this other place. I just watched a movie with Clark Gable and Barbara Stanwyck, bringing you back to Hong Kong in the 1940s. There's just, you know, it was exotic. It was adventurous. It was different. And it, there's something that's enchanted about 
those old places bef- before we get all this technology. Now everything right. s- seems to be disenchanted, and and these books and these movies they bring you back to this time when there were still mysteries, and there were still these exotic places. And even even in the story, to me, uh, the tenement in the inner city is an exotic place. It absolutely. And to be able to spend time, it's like a time machine. It's like it's like space travel in and, a good sense. And seeing World War One come and how yes. that affects I, everybody. I, just, it's, I am I am mesmerized by by any book or movie that can do that. I feel yeah. like that was the best part of that book. Yeah. Was the, the setting. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So And I'm re- oh I need to oh, say can going. I say one more thing? Yes, of course. So I had said I was starting a book by Kirk Rust Kirk Kirk Russell. That's what am actor. I trying to say? Russell Kirk. Russell Kirk. <laughs> you mean Snake okay. Plissken? <laughs> I've messed it up again. I've messed it up again. Okay. Last week and I said it was common cause and Martin said that's not right. <laughs> And I, but what neither one of us could think, it's called Ameri- the American cause. Yeah. Mm. So I need to correct myself. Yeah, it is okay. not the common cause. If anybody's out there looking yeah. b- and, for a book, oh, you'll by be Kirk hearing Russell. from them, I'm sure. So you have started reading this Russell Kirk book? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. I've read it. About- <laughs> I do look forward to hearing your take. Honestly. I have not started reading it because I've had to be reading articles for the new catalog. Mm, mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm still reading the Marcos book, and I'm just I have it's a lot to read. It is, and I'm more of a I like one book at a time. Mm. I'm really a one book at a time person, but I can't get it done, so I just find myself going back and forth, and I don't like it. Sure, but it's my life. I don't know if I mentioned this before because I've I've read about five or six of these now, but I recently found that on Kindle, excuse me, Martin, there are a series of free introductions to particular philosophers that are il- highly illustrated, but about a hundred pages and really good. Um, so-and-so in 90 minutes or something, something like yeah. that. Basically it's like introducing and they're an illustrated guide. And so I read the, the Kierkegaard one is I, I did it right after I found them right after reading Fear and Trembling. But then I read the Heidegger one, the Hegel one, uh, Carl Jung, and then Aristotle and Plato. Um, and I just finished Aristotle and I'm, I'm finally kind of burnt out on them. I was just really obsessed for a minute and just read. How old are these? Recent. Yeah. They're like 10 or 15 years old, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They're still in print. But interesting, um, really well done. I thought and very helpful for getting kind of a survey of their thought and Mm. connecting them to each other. And so really enjoyed that. But this Friday I'm leaving on vacation. Where are you going? We're going to Tawas which is on Lake Huron. Um, and my brother and sister-in-law own a cabin. Oh. We're going to drop off our one-year-old son with our grand- with his grandparents on the way. Really? And I bought three books to read up there. And I, ho- I look forward to- What are you going to read? Are you going to run them by us for our approval? Yeah, so <laughs> I hope that you approve. <laughs> I'll have to return them before Friday. That's right. But, uh, have you all heard of the author Leif Anger? Mm-hmm. I have, yeah. but I don't know why. So he's a novelist. He lives in rural Minnesota and he writes these just like beautiful fictional stories. Um, I've read his book, Peace Like a River, mm-hmm. but I picked up his book, Virgil Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to I know to I've that. seen that in a bookstore. Yeah. Okay. So we approve of that because it's fiction. Thank goodness. And then one of my professors at seminary who I've been really impacted by is a guy named Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Oh, um, and I have you up- read his book? So I picked up his Jesus philosopher book mm-hmm. and then I, he just released a book called come and see. I saw that. Um, and so I'm hoping to read all three of those while I'm up there. 
Um, so two Pennington and, and one, one fiction. fiction. Yeah, that's about right for I my. Approve. That yeah, that, that, yes. Uh, it's my my sixty six percent's a little. Uh, so are you going to leave Jack for a week? No, um, just just two and a half days. Okay, so you uh, won't get them all read. That's right, and then we'll yeah we'll I mean uh, the vacation's longer than that, but the time in the cabin where I with, will be completely where you can by read. Myself. He's going to spend time yeah. with his family. Uh, and and then read uh, three books in two days. Yes, <laughs> with a one-year-old. With a one-year-old. <laughs> so, speaking of vacation and summer, our topic today is, is there a classical education approach to summer? Sometimes I hear this. I'll be talking to people and they'll be like, oh, we're going to be really intentional about how our school uses summer. What What do you all think as experienced educators, as people thinking about advising homeschool families about how to approach their summer. What are the important things? What are the unimportant things? Do you have any reflections having parented and homeschooled, having led a school, advised families about using summer? Tanya, let's start with you. Oh, I, so I've got this idea about it Mm. (laughs) based on what we do at school, which I think is a great idea, which is math flashcards, Speed drills, just because kids forget math. It's really amazing. Mm. And Latin vocabulary um, and reading good books. But every summer I had this intention that we were going to do these things. And every summer I failed because everybody got up when they wanted to. And and they and I it was just getting everybody together before they went and got in the backyard pool or um or we went to some kids movie that at ten o'clock in the morning or you know whatever or if they had a play date with friends and I would just I would just truly just fell off every single I never succeeded so I'm not really the person to give advice. <laughs> about what to do. So I've got this theory about what ought to happen, but I truly failed at that. I truly, when we got out of school, I needed a break. They needed a break. Maybe I should have taken a month and just said, I'm not, instead, I just felt guilty all the time (laughs) because I felt like I, oh, we should be doing this. And when then we never did. And then all of a sudden it's time for school to start. So maybe if I take said, okay, we're going to start July 1st, but we're going to have the whole month of June off. Maybe I could have succeeded, but I didn't. But I do think, I will say as a teacher, Latin and math are Mm. the two things. So one year I moved up with my class. I taught this class, fifth grade. Then I moved up and taught them in the sixth grade. And so we came into the sixth grade and they literally did not remember anything that I had taught them. (laughs) And like I gave them, one of the things we used to do was give the students at the beginning of the year, we would give them their math final from the year before yeah. just to see what they really knew. And they all did awful on it. And I, and, I, and I knew that they had aced it. And I knew that I had taught all of this stuff. And the same thing with Latin. I would come in and think, okay, I'm going to review second form Latin before we start third form. And it would be, I mean, it comes back quickly, but it is... It takes a little bit. They truly, and I don't understand it. Why does it fall off? Mm. Why can we not retain those things without practice for three months? Paul, I don't have the answer. I want to lean into that a little Paul bit. Paul might have the answer. Yeah, talk, talk about why like arithmetic and Latin specifically really to need to be drilled. Well, yeah. we'll get to rest. We're going to we'll rest. Get to rest. I have okay. already said I rested all summer. <laughs> 
Well, I have my own reasons for talking about resting. Okay, but why why arithmetic and math? Those are the two major cumulative subjects that we do. Mm-hmm. So if if you lose three, if over three months you lose six months of of knowledge, which would be probably more than likely, right? Um, because because if you think of your your school year as a nine month long school year, whatever you learn in those first three months of the school year. You get six more months to practice that. That's going to really kind of enter your long-term memory. But everything after that is is not really entering your long-term memory. And if you need to keep practicing that through the summer, otherwise you're going to lose it. So really, if you don't practice through the summer, you're basically learning three months worth of stuff every year. <laughs> I mean, I'm just spouting statistics that I've just made up on the spot. But that's that's how we do research. But you, on but show. you get the <laughs> you get the sentiment. Um, I mean, they're they're cumulative, and so. So you have to retain it. You have to retain it. And otherwise, like when Tanya's talking about, you know, the kids coming in and not having retained what they learned in Latin, she can't move on as a teacher. And so that, that not losing what you've learned, number one, that's like the easiest thing to do, right? If you're going to do something, just retain what you've learned. But if you can't, if you don't do that, then you can't move forward. You have to spend a month at the beginning of the year catching up everything that you have forgotten. when I when I decided that I was teaching famous men of Greece and we have that whole mythology mm. review and I had planned six weeks for that mythology review and those kids remembered everything about those gods and goddesses from the third grade. Mm. I didn't need I needed two weeks to review that. Right. I needed six weeks to review Latin. I needed because two weeks stories because they they're stories. It's that narrative. They remember those stories, and so when we. When they're young and we teach them stories, they really do hang on to that knowledge in a way they do not hang on to their math facts. Martin, when you guys were homeschooling, did you do anything intentionally with your summers or it was the he summer? No, just an ask Joyce. <laughs> Martin, let me just restate the question. Will you make up some revision of your history that would be interesting for our audience that explains your summers? Uh, what do you think Joyce did? Yes, it's the, it's the one who oversees everything that happened in the household uh, during the school day. Um, no, I think that this, I just, I think of the analogy of sleep here, mm. uh, where, you know, when you go to sleep, your, your body, you're, you're still breathing, your, your heart's still pumping, but it's very, very slowly. Uh, and then you wake up refreshed. So I think uh, I think that what you need to do, particularly on those kinds of subjects like math and Latin, which involve discrete knowledge, I would just go to one fifth speed, and I would get those cards out once a week, just go through them, and then stop and don't do it again till next week. I I think that that is is very because I remember a lot of that stuff from Latin and math. But that's because I'm an adult and there's so much right. of it behind me. Whereas a child that's new to them, that's the first thing that's going to go. So just just go at a very, very slow speed and do just something once a week just as a, as a refresher so that they're not coming into the uh, fall completely blind. It really will help them if, <clears throat> you know, I failed at it, but. <clears throat> my poor children suffered. Yeah, but I do think I do think rest is is very important. You know, uh, my my kids benefited from, uh, you know, putting their shorts on, barefooted, get a get a pail and their fishing and rods, and just be free and go down on the creek and uh, don't see them for half a day. That's 
their childhood, you, you've got to experience those and you've got to experience real life, particularly in this age with all this artificial computer stuff and all that, get away from the computer, get outside, do stuff outside, investigate nature, get, get that done because, you know, go to the beach <laughs> um, because later on in life, you're not going to have time for that stuff and you're going to remember it fondly. Paul, talk about rest. Well, I wanted to um, bring up the analogy of seasonality on the farm. Of course. Of course. Um, <clears throat> but no, it was very apparent to Sarah and I this winter where we did not get... So on the farm, winter's your rest time, right? And we really did not get that rest this year for a couple of different reasons. And what it made us do was as we as we got into spring and we started looking at the summer, we said, what are the normal things we do in the summer, right? We get some pigs, we raise pigs, we do some meat chickens, we, you know, we there's certain things. And we just had to say, we are not going to do meat chickens this year because we didn't get our rest. And I thought that's an interesting parallel to draw to, to the academic pursuits where if you don't get a good rest in the summer, you cannot accomplish as much as you otherwise would during the season of learning. And so that, that I mean, that rest is, is very, very important. I mean, we were just going to be dragging. We could have gotten it done, but we would have hated it. And we, and, and we just said, we just can't do it. Did you not get your rest because of farm work or uh, just other things going on? Like, your job. <laughs> it was, it was other that, things like my job and, right. uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, just things that happen in the family and things that, you know, uh, home maintenance projects and things that just need to get done that had to get done in a timely manner. And so you didn't sit by the fireplace and read. No, no, we had, we had maybe two weeks of that. Whereas normally mm -hmm. we get like three months of it. But I will say this, uh, in, in praise of boredom, um, cause I remember many times when I was growing up and it's summertime and that's when you didn't have any technology other than a television set and there wasn't much on it. Uh, and you had to find things to do. Oh, absolutely. And if, if your friends were available, you go, you know, do a pickup football game or play some basketball or do something like that. But, but there was a lot of time available and not enough things to do in it. So that's why we read is because there was nothing else to do. Uh, now there's too many other things to do. So we did actually read. I one I, summer I, I read 35 Agatha Christie novels. Okay, when I don't do that. That, <laughs> that was that my wonderful. discovery of British literature, mm -hmm. and I what took it. Really, I know, and my parents Kids just kept moderation. letting me buy them yeah. <laughs> because the library didn't have 35. Yeah, oh. but just some easy to read, you know, not not anything real involved, but something something that you enjoy. You can sit out in the sun. Uh, you can, you know, I mean, I I'd read. We we were we grew up near the beach, so we go to the beach all the time. So I'd just go down to the beach and take a book with me or something. Let me come back to the really practical for a second. Then I want to zoom back out to the less practical. Does it change at all if you're? I'm thinking about kind of parenting or talking to schools as they're thinking through different grades does it change at all the age and of the student and where they're at that is do the primary students need to do different things over the summer than the older mm -hmm. students i mean your primary students i mean the major things that they're learning right is reading writing and arithmetic so the the it, we work very very hard in the school year to work on the the fine motor skills right the muscles to be able to hold that pencil for <clears throat> long periods of time i mean 
they need to at least continue to do that in some form or fashion. Which we use the, the 100 Days of Summer mm-hmm. Reading for. And so they read a book. So they're continuing to practice their reading. And then they write the book title in their journal, maybe the author. And possibly that's an, all they write. But they could also write one sentence about the book, which then also... That is another skill is helping them hone in on what the book was about, what right. they liked about the book, the important thing about the book, something, you know, it varies by family, what you can get done and by child. So that is the reading and the writing. But then the primary student also um, should be practicing math flashcards. And that's all. That's really and I, and all I think the, the primary The younger student. you get, the more review you need. I think as they get older, they don't need as, as much review and hopefully... By the time they're in high school, they will have developed some interests in certain kinds of books, and they will just voluntarily, you know, uh, be, be reading, be doing some reading. But they won't be voluntarily doing their Latin flashcards, at least not most of them. Well, no. I'm talking about, that's why, I mean, yeah. younger kids, yeah, I yeah. do need that, yeah. And you, that has to be just a part of a regimen. But really, for high school, I mean, you're no longer working on arithmetic. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I don't really know, I think for high school, all we require is each class is assigned a novel to read. Mm-hmm. And we encourage them, obviously, to read. And we hope that we've turned them into readers, that that's not, it shouldn't even be an issue. But there is one novel that they read as a class that is their assignment. And our grammar school students, in addition to math flashcards and Latin, will um, uh, read one of the Story of the World volumes, the one that's before, like if they're going to study Famous Men of Rome, they they read the version of that in the summer. And, and that's really all. Mm. It's not a lot that we require, but it really is to help us get started better in the school year. And those are all things that even would be helpful for the homeschooler to do because those homeschool parents are also seeing after a break, it's hard to kick it back in. And a lot of homeschool parents just are doing year-round school now and taking shorter breaks because they recognize that you're going to lose less and you're going to lose, because we do lose time. I'm not, I'm not, you're not a fan. No, well, I just think that it's a much shorter period of time in which you forget something. So if, if, if you're going to forget, uh, everything over the summer in three months, kids forget stuff in two weeks. So now you're having them forget things three times during the year. If you have three different vac- shorter vacations rather than the one long summer vacation. I don't think so. I think or in you could a take multiple weeks. one week vacations. <laughs> Maybe. Six one week I, think vacations? I think it's fine to do it either way. I think whatever. I, I guess works. I come from a generation where it was the great American summer. I know, and, on and, and I love you, the summer. I yeah. do love the summer. Mm-hmm. I love having that long. Well, I used to. I don't get that long break anymore since I'm not teaching. But, but I did love it, and mm-hmm. I loved it for my children. But I do see advantages to having because you get also you get really tired. Mm-hmm. By now, everybody's really tired. And in February, we start hearing people say, I don't know how am I going to get through the next three months. So if you took a couple weeks, it might help. I think parents need a good long summer too. Maybe we could do what the Italians do and just everybody in the whole society takes off in August. Mm Mm-hmm. I would love to take off in August. All right. If anybody would like to to start that movement, we'll we'll be right there on board with you. Yeah. (sighs) So let me ask you this, and this is really just curiosity, my curiosity about you three. You all are kind of living the fruits of classical education in some ways. 
for your reading, personal growth, kind of thinking, does it change at all seasonally? Do you do something different in the summer? I mean, all of our work is tied to education, but we all work probably more in the summer than we do in the school year. Which is why it changes. Okay. Because I get where in the summer, I am so tired. And so, you know, the the task list is so long that I would really struggle to read something Mm. heavy. I know in August, I will not be reading anything heavy because I will just be trying to keep my head above the water and you will be too. Right. She so. gave me war and peace for Christmas and we're not starting until this fall because right. we want to tell we can't, time to yeah, read We it. can't do it. Yeah. We can't do it in the summer. We just, but well, that's my, my, because of, that's a unique, pretty unique problem that we have. Right. Whereas most, I mean, most teachers, I mean, that's a, the summer is a great time to actually get reading done on your adult reading, right? right. Uh, you know, I I had there was one teacher in the online academy that she for a couple of summers she would update me on like where she'd gotten in Count of Monte Cristo, and then the the school year would come and she say I'm putting that down until next summer because I don't have time to. Do. I was like, that's rough, but that was what she, how she found her way of wow. being able to get through those. Mm. Yeah, see, book. my my schedule's reversed. I teach during the summer mm. at Memorial College's uh, summer courses, so I have one or uh, one or two to three courses in the summer, uh, which involve rereading a lot of things. And I try to read newer things pertaining to, you know, the philosophy of classical education or classical pedagogy. And, um, and so I, I don't have as much time during the summer to read as I do the rest of the year. But you now have, I just saw an e-blast, I think, for the new classical teacher certification. Yeah. So teachers can actually take these classes yes, that you're teaching right. they can, they can take and these. work toward a certification, which summer's the only time teachers right, can really right, get that because, done. Yeah, that's exactly right. They really don't have a lot of time during the school year. So that's so you're doing a service on. to yeah. teachers across the world. Right. MemorialCollege.org. <laughs> One let's let's end on this. One fad that I've been made aware of recently is summer bucket lists. And I don't think that you die at the end of the summer. Ideally, I think it's just (laughs) these are things that you put on a list that you try to do during the summer. Hmm. What is one thing that you would recommend that someone who is deeply interested in classical education that wants to use their summer in some small part to be better classically educated that they should do? And let, let me start. I would say, find your local Shakespeare in the park. Oh, yeah. And really go in on a Shakespeare play, read it. What I always recommend is read a summary, read the play, watch mm-hmm. a version of the play, mm-hmm. then go to the performance. Mm-hmm. That is the best like way that. to enjoy Shakespeare. I agree. What do you guys think? I would say if you're really gung-ho, and we actually have a lot of uh, adults that are gung-ho, um, we have a, in Memorial Academy, a first form Latin class. And so we have, we we had, uh, so many people signed up for the first room Latin class that we were talking. I don't know what Mitchell decided on this, but we were talking about a second section of first room Latin for adults. So you're advertising summer. something that could be full. Uh, no, <laughs> I think we're we're really. So you got to sign Strickland up right she now. Was, she was open to a second <laughs> section. So, um, but uh, you know, again, when when is a parent or a teacher going to have time to learn Latin during the school year? That's your moment. Well, the other thing too is you know, of course, it's a time for travel. Um, go someplace interesting. Also, How about Louisville? Come to our conference. Oh, now there you go. That, that's an exciting thing, right? Well, there. it is, and it's that good would food, be good company. Good and yes, and some good just speakers. I hear your peers. To, you know, to be around your peers. 
I don't know about the speakers. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing is, we don't think of this like we used to. Museums mm-hmm. and, and historical, historical sites. sites. Our, our historical sites are being neglected. You know, people don't go to them like they used to. And, and, you know, there's been a few that have closed or are having trouble. Go to these historical sites. There's so much interesting history that you can you can see right there. We've got a, a place, Locust Grove over here, which is an old house that's been there since the uh, early 1800s. And it's, they've kept it up. And there's people there who are in character. And it's it's like this big farming estate. Uh, Shaker Village. Shaker I mean, Village, absolutely. I, when Sarah yes. and I went there and mm-hmm. there was this just phenomenal um, tour guide person in the church who would do the singing that they would have done. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was powerful. I mean, it was amazing. And then their pigs got out and, and people were running <laughs> after the pigs and showing you how they gardened. And I mean, it was just phenomenal. Have you ever read The Believers by Janice Holt Giles? Yeah, no. it's about... Uh, the- you should read that since if you've been to Shaker Town. What's it about? It's, it's, about, it's the sh- about the Shakers. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a Shaker Village. I mean, I, the first Shaker Village I went to was up in New Hampshire. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. different That's right. ones But around. I think, yeah, we're in Kentucky and I think the second largest one is the one in Kentucky and the mm-hmm. biggest one is up in the Northeast somewhere. But yes, you can do local, your own local state mm-hmm. things and right. get your state history done in mm-hmm. a summer and how your kids hopefully will have a better time than mine did when I did that. Well, But it it's a great way to, not to spend a lot of money because mm-hmm. you can make day trips or just overnight trips and give, you know, give your kids that education, but also just a, an experience. Right. And just the ability to see that even the place where you live has a past. Mm. And, it, it, you know, we don't study history like we used to anymore. And and you, so you don't appreciate the heritage of things. And it's all around you. You just, you just haven't noticed. And so there's usually somebody in your town or something who's really into that. They'll even take, you know, you find out who it is. I go to the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. and ask if you have to. We've got, uh, you know, uh, I live in Danville, Kentucky. And... Danville was the first capital of Kentucky. And what? yes. And and <laughs> you need so to go visit Danville. I didn't I didn't Constitution have this, Square these. is there. Grayson's Tavern is still there. It has not changed. They keep it just like it was. That's where the Kentucky articles were argued uh during the, the constitutional debates uh there and at, at this other house that's still there in town. But they have a whole park there, Constitution Square Park, and it's just it's gorgeous. There's all kinds of history there. It's great. Everybody should just get out and enjoy their summer. That's what it sounds like you're saying. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.